Welcome to the Mission Gathering Thornton Message Cast. As I get started, so thanks for being here today. Um, I want you, I'm thinking back to the spring of 2007. Can you remember back that long ago? A long time ago. So the spring of 2007, Karina and I had been married about two years and we were living in our college town of Springfield, Missouri, or as I still like to say, misery, because it's hot out there in the summer. So I had graduated from Baptist Bible College in, in the, what was it, the, the spring of 2004, and we'd gotten married in the summer, and then we had moved to Maryland. I worked for a church in Maryland for about a year, um, and long story, we ended up moving back to Colorado, then back to Springfield again in 2006, in the summer of 2006, so Karina could finish her degree and I could get back into the, the church uh, network, so to speak. So while we were there, we were, we were attending, and I think we were actually members, of this church called Seminole Baptist Church. And the thing that uh, I remember about Seminole Baptist Church, uh, it's on the south side of Springfield, if you know Springfield at all, on Republic Road. But it was called Seminole Baptist Church because back in the day, it used to be on Seminole Street. So it was called, they just dropped the street and kept Seminole Baptist Church. And it seems odd to us, like, you know, having a church named after a street that's not on the street. But in Springfield, this was a pretty common occurrence. Like there was a there was a Cherry Street Baptist Church that was no longer on Cherry Street, and there was a High Street Baptist Church that's no longer on High Street. So I guess it's just the thing they did in Springfield, Missouri. Um, so something also about uh, 2007 in Baptist churches was they had this thing called Sunday school. Anyone remember going to Sunday school as a kid? Yeah. So in 2007, and who knows, maybe they still do this, but uh, in 2007, they had Sunday school, which, you know, for those of us unfamiliar, it's like, it's like adult small groups or kids small groups, uh, except they had it before the main worship service on Sunday morning. So they'd have these age-appropriate groups that you'd go to um, before, before the rather regular worship gathering. So uh, Karina and I, being we were, you know, young, freshly married kind of folks, we went to the, the young marrieds class, uh, if you will. And the thing I remember, I don't know if Karina remembers this, but they had this 20-something dude who was the teacher, and I just found him super annoying. And uh, I don't know, he was a nice guy and all, but, you know, he would just say, like, these off-the-wall things. Like, he'd be up there talking about, and he'd be like, you know, you know, when each time we sin, Jesus takes a, he takes a pin, and he pricks himself, and he pours out, he pinches out a little bit of blood on the altar. And I'm just like, what are you talking about, dude? Like, no. Um, you know, so we're trying to, like, we're trying to, like, you know, be friendly and make ourselves, you know, amenable to the group and to the, the other couples there. And I remember they had this, this, uh, they had this like group picnic, this Sunday school picnic at a park. And I was excited because I was like, you know, 23, 24, 25, something like that. And I'm sportsy kind of. And I'm like, cool, we can, I brought my ball glove. I'm like, hey, we can throw the ball with some guys, and play some baseball. And they're kind of pumping up like that. I'm like, all right, I'm ready to play. And then they get there and everybody's like bringing out their kids and like playing t-ball with their kids. And I'm like, what are we doing? Like, what are we doing here? And, like, I have kids. I love kids. But, you know, like, I don't have enough, ad like, I don't get enough adult time as it is. So, like, you know, I love my kids. enjoy spending time with the kids. But when it's adults, like, I want to spend some adult time with adults. Uh, so, Karina and I were there, and we're just kind of, like, standing around. I, I remember, like, we're just kind of standing around, like, shoulder to shoulder, like, hey, you know. Like, and everybody's, like, off with their kids or something. And eventually, we just got, like, this is stupid. We just left. Um... So we're a bit delusioned, as you can imagine. We're like this young um, marriage class. So we started attending the Sunday school class for like the, the older, uh, mature 
married folk. And the thing I remember about this class was it was taught by the music minister, who is this uh, probably about who he's probably like about my age now, you know, late thirties. Uh, and uh, the thing I remember, he was he was a bald bald man, and uh, I remember like this sounds weird, so forgive me, but he, I kind of remember admiring his hair because if you can imagine back then, like think hard, try hard. Back then, I had a pretty nice head of hair, if you can imagine it, okay? So just use your imagination. Back then, I had a pretty decent head of hair, and, but, you know, I knew, like, the inevitable was coming. Like, if you, if you know my father, like, he's pretty bald. Uh, so I kind of knew where the inevitable was coming. Uh, so I looked at this guy, like, you know, he had, this, he had a bald, but he kept it nice and trim, close cut, and I thought, that's the way to keep your hair if you're bald, rather than so many people I knew who had, like, the comb over. That was the thing back in the day, if you remember that, or, like, I don't know, so many bald men just had this huge, just kind of bush, kind of down here, the horseshoe bush. So I admired this guy uh, <laughs> and his head of hair. Um, but one Sunday morning in particular, I remember the teacher, he handed us some 3 by 5 cards. Y'all remember 3 by 5 cards? Do they still use those? 3 by 5 cards. And he handed us these 3 by 5 cards, and we were uh, supposed to write on the 3 by 5 cards something, some kind of sin we're struggling with, um, and then pass it to a neighbor for them to pray for us. Maybe, maybe you remember doing something like this yourself in church. And to be honest, this is something that's always bugged me about churches, uh, some churches who do this. Um, this uh, to me, it's like essentially, it's like forced vulnerability. Uh, so I'll say, let me stop for a moment and say, like this is a church where, you know, you are welcome to participate as much or as little as you like. So, I mean, we welcome you and we encourage you. We want you to participate, but we're not going to mandate that you participate. So if you don't want to, if you want to sit and listen instead of sing, if you want to, you know, watch us take communion and not take communion yourself, you know, if you want to, if you don't feel like being social one day, like, that's okay. The only thing that's required is the sermon. Like, you cannot leave for the sermon. <laughs> so then as, <laughs> we're not supposed to laugh at our jokes, right? We're we're not supposed to laugh at our own jokes. So then, as of now, I didn't like sharing something personal, so I just wrote something just, you know, blah, on my card. But I remember, uh, I'm pretty sure it came from a woman who was sitting in front of me. And to be honest, I don't, I don't even remember if I saw her face. But she passed it back to me. And on this 3 by 5 card was written something that she was struggling with. And it said, I'm struggling with my depression. And even then, I was both frustrated and saddened for that woman because even then, I thought it was ridiculous that this woman was being taught that it was a sin. And I was frustrated because I thought, this guilt and shame she's bearing is keeping her from probably getting the help she needs. So it wasn't long after that that Karina and I stopped going to that church altogether. Um, so... A few months go by, you know, we're spring, summer, fall, 2007. Korean and I have since left that church and really in, in a lot of ways kind of found ourselves disillusioned and frustrated with church and, and faith in general to a great extent. And it was around that time, I don't really know what brought it on or what, what it came about, but I just I found myself in this really uh, deep state of depression. And I, like I said, I'm not sure what it was, if it was just a job that was just terrible or, uh, you know, crisis of faith or, um, 
being away from family or, or things combined. But I just was, I just remember kind of just being in a big funk, a big depression. And, um, you know, I remember like some nights I'd come home from work and it'd be like 8 o'clock. And she's like, what's the point? I'm just going to bed, 8 o'clock. Sleep, you know, 10 hours, get up, trudge through another day of work. And like, go to bed. And I remember we had this dog, Toby. He was our he was our little baby, Toby. He was about probably two years old at that time, maybe less. And Toby would be sitting there, and I just like kind of like kneel down and just like hug Toby. It's kind of weird, but you know, it's where I was. You know, it was a it was a hard time. And and uh, Karina, being a good wife, she said, "Hey, you know, you should go talk to your doctor." You know, so I called up the doctor. I made an appointment. And what I remember is just like appropriately a cold, dreary day. Drove up. It was the north side of Springfield where my doctor was, and I, you know, I checked into the to the doctor's office, and I sat down, and took a seat. And while I was waiting for my name to be called, you know, they have those spread of you know they have the spread of magazines, Sports Illustrated, and Time, and what else? That's that's what I always look for, right? So I, I happened to grab a couple of Time magazine. If you can imagine, this is Time magazine. And it was an August 2007 issue, and the, the feature cover story was on Mother Teresa. And the cover story uh, said, The Secret Life of Mother Teresa, Newly Published Letters, Reveal a Beloved Icon's Crisis of Faith. So as I sat in the waiting room, I read uh, through the article in which she was quoted from a letter she had written to a spiritual confidant. And I want to read uh, this letter to you, because I think it's or a quote from it, because uh, I thought it was compelling uh, now, even as it was then for me. She wrote, Jesus has a very special love for you, but as for me, the silence and the emptiness is so great that I look and do not see, listen and do not hear. The tongue moves in prayer but does not speak. I want you to pray for me that I let him have a free hand. Uh, we should note, too, I think, especially what I was sharing about forced vulnerability, these, these letters were preserved kind of against her will, as I understand um, but they reveal nearly a half a century of her life where she felt no presence of God whatsoever, neither in her heart nor in the Eucharist. So I remember, like, again, I'm sitting in the doctor's office, in the waiting room, like, going into the doctor to talk about depression, and I'm reading this deeply just depressing story, dark story about Mother Trace, that I remember, like, going into the office, talking to him, like, in some kind of like dark galley's humor, gallows humor, whatever. And I was like, <laughs> I'm like, I know I'm in here for depression, but this is like a fascinating but also depressing story. And I just, I just remember that being like a moment of connection for me, like uh, telling him that. And, uh, b- but more than being, uh, you know, ironic or interesting in a way, I think her something about her apparent battle between uh, the darkness and her experience or the external expectations of faith Something about that resonated with me, and, and I don't know whether Mother Teresa was battling with depression. I, I don't want to assume anything. But for me, in that moment, I couldn't help but connect the dots. Mother Teresa had, despite her silent struggles, put on a brave face in public, speaking confidently and assuredly in her own faith and conviction. Remember, remember that 3 by 5 card that had been passed to me in church just a few months prior. It was a note that echoed everything that I had taught, been taught, and learned 
about Christianity to that point. A true Christian, a faithful believer of Jesus, someone who's not living in sin, should be happy, should be joyous, should be always happy. And sure, like, I could say, you know, I didn't believe that message. But that's the message I had heard over and over again. So some days later, after calling my doctor, or after visiting my doctor, uh, I called uh, my best friend at the time. And I wasn't sure, you know, I don't know if it was my doctor encouraged me or my counselor encouraged me, whatever. And I called him to share my struggle and to reach out for support. And uh, I remember it was one evening, I was walking around uh, our apartment complex as, as the twilight, um, as, as darkness turned to night amidst the twilight. And in many ways, you know, the, the, the setting sun kind of indicative about what was to come in that conversation. So I told, I told him everything, what I'd been struggling with, you know, I'd seen the doctor, gone on meds, all that. And then I waited for a word of encouragement. But that didn't come. So, so in the gist, he said that basically my depression was a result of my unfaithfulness to God. So it was, it was during that time, again, I, I think I kind of alluded to that, that um, I'd been questioning some elements of my Baptist upbringing, essentially doubting some things that weren't ever supposed to be in doubt. Like I said, Karina and I had stopped uh, going to the Baptist church, and uh, Karina had dropped out of Bible college at that point. So to him, and you know, I don't want to say his name because I'd like to think in the 15 years since, or however many years he's changed and wisened up, um, but to him, my friend, uh, to him, that depression was a result of my falling away from God. It was a result of my sin. So as you can imagine, those words were not helpful. They stung me, but I don't think they shamed me. Because I think I, I believed deep in my heart that I was not running away from God. I was trying to find God. But I was, obviously I was deeply discouraged that someone I was close to, someone who was a, a church leader and a ministry colleague, I might say, someone who I had reached out to for help had instead essentially kicked me when I was down. And as you can imagine, <laughs> our friendship really hasn't been the same since. So in those, in those years since, there's been times that, you know, I've been on meds and times I haven't. Times I've been uh, really struggling. Times I've been not struggling so much. Times I've been uh, in counseling and times not. But as I've continued my uh, ministry training and biblical education, I've become more assured in my conviction that depression and mental illness is not, and I want to repeat that, it is not a sin. As Brianna mentioned last week, the Bible is full of stories about that I would at least call depression. I mean, Brianna talked about, you know, shouting out to God angrily. I mean, the Psalms are like full of that, of like David or, or some other author just like railing against God angry. 
I think of Elijah. If you remember the Old Testament prophet Elijah, who at one point was just like, God, let me die. I'm done. Um, the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, if you remember that book kind of in the middle of the Bible, like one of the chapters in there, the author's just like, this is all pointless. Like, this is, it doesn't matter. I mean, that's, that's some serious existential crisis. So, I'm grateful that I think in the years since, like I think a lot of churches have stopped referring to depression as a sin, which is good, I think, which is good. But, but what bothers me, and, and maybe I'll, I'll say this personally, as someone who has struggled with depression, and let's be honest, still does, what bothers me is that rather than talking about depression as a mental health issue, pastors and, and church leaders often talk about They've shifted. Sin isn't depression in itself. It's the ways we respond to depression. Uh, so a couple of years back, there was a, a, a pastor of a large local church, actually, uh, preached a message that I listened to on depression, and he, he, he titled it uh, Defeating Depression, and talked about four ways to get depressed. And he said, um, you know, swear, the four ways were wearing yourself out, shutting people out, um, focusing on negative, and shutting God out. Here's the thing. Like, depression is not discouragement. Depression is not about feeling defeated. And to equate depression with feeling bummed out or sad diminishes the very real and serious suffering of those uh, who are really in need of some help. So people who are suffering from depression often, like I said, find themselves either being super sleepy or having trouble sleeping. People suffering from depression often have trouble being social, even though we know we should go out and be social. People who are struggling with depression, um, we often find ourselves dealing with overwhelming, at times, negative thoughts. And yes, people with depression struggle with their relationship with God. Being worn out, shutting people out, Focusing on the negative and struggling with our relationship with God are not causes of depression. They're symptoms of depression, and symptoms are not a sin. I've been fighting, or thankfully I've fought it over. Now Karina has it. Had a cold last week. Was I sinning each time I sneezed? Each time I coughed? Each time I blow my nose? And yeah, it's annoying. I mean, that's Karina, right? I mean... <laughs> We've been married like 15 years, so she pretty much finds like half of what I do annoying. But, you know, married life, right? Was each time I sneezed or coughed or blew my nose sin? I mean, it's like, what? No. Suggesting these are causes reinforces the false and dangerous notion that depression is a result of personal failings and only pushes the person struggling into depression into a deeper hole and discourages them from getting the help or treatment they truly need. I mean, this seems obvious to me. I don't know. But I, even this week, I was looking on another a blog of another church in the area, and they said, this guy said that, you know, when I'm depressed, I tend to choose passivity and isolation in regard to my relationship and responsibilities. The choice to act out of my brokenness instead of leaning on God's grace is a sin. And I, I, I usually don't say things so unequivocally. But that's ridiculous. I'm sorry, that's ridiculous. 
So please forgive me, I don't usually say things so unequivocally, but that's ridiculous. The idea that symptoms, not sickness, itself is the real problem is as foolish as it is wrong. I mean, churches can and we should do better. So one of the ways that we're trying to do better as a church is by helping to end the stigma around Christianity and mental health and to end the taboos around this conversation and this topic. That's what this message series is meant to be about. So we're not going to try to solve these problems for you because we can't do that. We just want you to know that God loves you and God cares for you. And we're doing this because one of our values as a church is courage. Risking the vulnerability to be real with one another. We do this because we believe that when we're real with one another, we can help one another. I, I'm sharing my story not as a way to elevate myself uh, or either to require you to this, do the same. Like I said, you share as you want to share or don't want to share. Rather, I share my story as a way of saying there can be, there is another way. We can be real with each other. We can share our struggles, our doubts, and our discouragements with one another as we choose to. And in so doing, we find a community with others in which we can live and learn and love. So whether it's me, whether it's Brianna, whether it's Katrina who's going to speak next week, we want you to know that we're here for you, that we've been there, and we'll be with you through those dark valleys. But more so, we want you to know that God will always be there for you, present alongside holding you, encouraging you, loving you. No matter how deep your struggles, no matter how dark your depression, know that God is always with you. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 139, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Know that in the midst of your deepest, darkest valleys, God is with you, loving you, supporting you, caring for you. And I believe God is walking with you to the light. Let's pray. Hey, thanks for tuning in with us this week. You can check back for new messages each Tuesday. If you're in the Denver area, come see us this Sunday. You can find out more about our service times as well as the mission and vision of M.G. Thornton at mgthornton.org. That's M-G-T-H-O-R-N-T-O-N dot O-R-G. See you next week.